0: Welcome. Welcome, everyone. This is Torah Portions. Excuse me. This is Kingdom in Context. Uh, we did Torah Portions this morning, and I'm Sean, your host, and I just want to uh, welcome you guys tonight for a, a general fellowship and discussion over the rapture or the resurrection. And so uh, we got a couple of good brothers that are going to come on tonight. But before we do, um, I wanted to uh, make an announcement. Uh, we, we put a video up a couple of days ago explaining that our Investigating Babylon series is now available for you to own. So we actually put it on a thumb drive. There's 32 plus hours of content on there. And I've, you know, I went through all the videos series that I did all 21 parts and then added four extra videos as well that pertain to that content. But I went through the major 21 parts and I, I kind of like edited out. Um, every time I took a glass of water or every time I, you know, coughed or, or whatever, or sometimes we would have like technical difficulties, edit that stuff out, try to make it synced, uh, succinct and, uh, clear and and well edited that way, in case you, you like the series and you wanted to share it with your friends and family. This is why I'm doing this is because so many people asked me to have it in some format that they could pass it to somebody else. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, it's for whatever reason, not every time you search for people on YouTube, it doesn't always pop up, especially if channels with religious content are getting censored. So it's now available, guys. It's on a thumb drive. And um, the information is in the video description below. And that is gonna be something that you can actually own. There's a minimum, to, it's not something you're buying. It's just a, it's a gift that we give you in exchange for donating to the ministry. A lot of ministries do things like this. And here is a quick little intro or a quick little teaser, if you will, um, just for to know that you can own the series um, on your own. So if you were a fan of the series from our Kingdom Cast channel, um, you're welcome to, you know, the information's down below. You're welcome to check that out at your at your own leisure. So thank you guys so much for all your your kind words uh, about that series and um how you guys, you know, are claiming that it's helped you understand things with eschatology and the Bible and prophecy. And so just thank you guys for your support and your love on that one. But without further ado, we're gonna bring in a couple of our guests tonight. And we have our brother John, Pastor John from Shreveport, Louisiana. Welcome, brother. How are you doing? Good. Good. Welcome, John. Guys, um, John pastors a church in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. And um, how long have you been pastoring that church?
1: So it's it's called the Little Word Church,
0: and I'd say about two years, officially. Two years. Awesome. Yes, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's exciting. And then we also have our brother, Russell Lafleur from the Brian Dialogues will be joining us tonight. Welcome, Russell. Good to have you back on. Nope, oh, I think he's on mute. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome, brother. You're welcome. So I'm going to, um, now John, you actually, you, both of you gentlemen have a YouTube channel and, uh, I just want to let the people know where they can find you on, on YouTube at least. And this is the, the little word church YouTube channel that you admin. Correct. And you have a, a series called uh, word for the day. Is that right?
1: Well, so I actually have, uh, the most common ones word for the week where I have a, a friend of mine, pastor Tim Zoltowski on the word for the week YouTube channel. That's where you'll see most of our videos. We do a 30 minute show
0: nice all right awesome brother yeah it takes a lot to put together these shows doesn't it so it I does understand. <laughs> it's a labor of love for sure and then and then we also have a uh, Russell you have the Brian dialogues yeah. and so
2: it's mainly a it's mainly a podcast channel on castbox mm-hmm. and uh, on you can find it on audible and Google Play and okay I do yeah and you' and
0: you've been because you interviewed me like two years ago so you've been at this for a while now with your podcast
2: yeah absolutely yep
0: awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, um, y'all are welcome. Everyone listening to the audience, y'all are welcome to go check those guys out. And um, now, Russell, in your videos, is there a link to your podcast as well?
2: Um, I, it, Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, here it is down here. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, th- I have not really spent much time on my YouTube channel, by the way.
0: Yeah, I understand. It's it, you're, we're, you're busy, right? There takes It's like a third job trying to uh, fill out man. your social media presence and your video presence. So mm. I understand. Well, guys, tonight, um, as everyone saw from the from the thumbnail, we were, we decided that we want to have a conversation about um, the rapture and and I guess different theories, maybe uh, different ways that people exegete that from scripture, and also the resurrection. Now, on, on my channel, it's pretty I'm pretty transparent. We we talk about the resurrection all the time, and um, <clears throat> that's I I grew up in a church setting where I was taught a rapture. In fact, it's pretty funny. I I thought, or at least the way it was presented to me as a child, was that the rapture could happen in any minute, and that um, basically, I would get so scared as a child that my both of my parents worked, and I was what they call a latchkey kid, so I'd walk home from school, and I would come home in the afternoons until they get home from work, but if for whatever reason they had to go to the store, or had to run an errand after work, or had to go pay a bill, or whatever they were doing, and they didn't get home at, at the time that I expected them home after work, and I was still at the house. I was not playing with the friends. I would get worried that the rapture had happened and that I had missed it and that my parents were taken. And so, what I, I would start getting on the phone and calling other pastors. I would get the phone book out. A lot of, a lot of new people, a lot of younger people watching on a phone book is. But I would get a phone book out and I would actually look <laughs> up like, oh hey, uh, here's the pastor of the First Baptist Church. You know, Mr. Anderson. I'm gonna let me call him and see if if he answers the phone. Then I know I didn't miss the rapture. Like that's literally. So I would just wow. like. I would just hang up on like four or five pastors to make sure the rapture didn't happen. And um, yeah. And I'm sure if they had caller ID, they're like, why is pastor Griffin calling me and hanging up on me? So (laughs) that's hilarious. Yeah. So that's, I didn't understand how to, uh, how to perceive it and understand it. And as a child, you know, I had limited perception anyway, listening as I sat playing with my toys in the pew, listening to the, the preacher. Right. So That was my understanding of that. Doesn't mean that it's right or correct, but even though as my be personally, as I continued studying the scriptures throughout the rest of my life, uh, I I moved away from the rapture understanding as it was taught to me. But I know that there's different versions of it. There's different uh, ways that people present it, and um, and I'm guessing either one of you or both of you do you subscribe to a rapture theory? I'll let you start, Pastor Russ.
2: All right. So um, it's funny. It's funny that you you say that because from our last conversation, I would kind of lean towards use. I, I think using the term resurrection is probably more biblically accurate, you know, to use that term rather than using the word rapture. Cause when you use the word rapture, it's, it's almost like you're separating, you know, being caught up in the clouds from the resurrection event itself. And so I would, You know, for just for the sake of clarity, I think when I'm talking to other people who uh, already assume a rapture, I would use that term just for the sake of conversation. But I think, you know, the resurrection is definitely a a more accurate terminology to use. But as far as if we're going to use the term rapture, I I ascribe to the pre-wrath position.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. How about you, uh, Pastor John? What about you? Well, uh, so
1: (laughs) uh, Pastor Russ and I had a long talk about this, uh, I think, yesterday. Um, I, I, I actually believe that the church, uh, and which is the body of Christ, revelation chapter one will be raptured. And that's the, that kind of sets off the events of the seven year, what we call the tribulation. So I'm pre-tribulation rapture. That's my belief.
0: Okay. And so Russ, you're saying just for the sake of the audience, um, uh, Russ, you're saying you're not pre-tribulation, but you're pre-wrath. So as far as the timing of that, what, how would you describe that?
2: So, some I think that some point after uh, the abomination of desolation is set up, um, when when you see the sign in the sun, moon, and stars, when Jesus comes in glory, I believe that that is uh, when he comes and the resurrection occurs. Um, I think it's Matthew twenty four thirty one. I believe is the is the verse. I'm, I could be mistaken, um, but it's it's right after he comes down in the clouds in power and great glory. And it says, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. It, it And from where I'm at currently, now I could be wrong, but from where I'm at currently, that this is the gathering slash resurrection event from my perspective. Now, I could be wrong, but that's where I'm at today. And it was this Matthew 24 here? Yeah, Matthew 24, 30 and 31. Yeah. Okay. So it's at that time the Son of Man will
0: appear in the heaven. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. He will send on his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his light from the four winds, from the end of heavens to the other. Okay. And what, uh, Russ, do you think that this lines up? Um, this first thirty here. Are you, do you think that this lines up with Revelation 1? one?
2: One seven uh, with Revelation one. Where it this here. Yeah. I mean, yes, that appears, it appears as if that lines up. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Um, and then uh, Pastor John, so you were thinking that because uh, this is what you were talking about seven years before or seven years of tribulation and the, the rapture is what initiates that. Did I hear that right?
1: Yes. I believe the whole thing. So, and, and obviously there's a couple of theories. Some believe that in half, you know, three and a half years in the, the, what Daniel was talking about three and a half years in, Uh, that sometime in there that it might happen. But for me, I believe that Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, when John's talking about uh, in the Latin, uh, the harpatsu, or the the catching away, um, uh, is the period when the church or the body of Christ, the believers, the ones that are faithful, are are lifted, and uh, they meet with Jesus in the clouds. Uh, And that kind of sets off, that's kind of a chain of event, but it's actually the first event of that seven-year period, so like the first now, I don't believe he comes all the way to the ground. I believe the second full coming to, the, to earth is in Revelation chapter 19. So okay. I believe that the Did church I is lifting up.
0: Did I hear you correctly? You said Revelation 4? Revelation chapter
1: 4, verse 1, where it says, After this I looked, meditato.":
0: After this I looked and saw a door standing open in heaven. The voice I had heard, previously heard, speak to me like a trumpet, was saying, come up here and I'll show you what must happen after these things. Okay, I believe
1: that's the church, not just John the Apostle. That's that's lifted up to a new vantage point.
0: Okay, and would you do you think that this Revelation four verse coincides with First Thessalonians four? I do. Okay,
1: I think, and also I think it coincides closely with Matthew chapter twenty four.
0: Okay, so then you, so then you're saying that the people of the earth will see this happen. They'll see Yeshua or Jesus in the air, calling them up to Him. And then that's kicks off the, the tribulation time who, so here's my first question um, in your understanding, if that kicks off the tribulation time, who's going to be tribu- tribulated, who's going to be persecuted <laughs> um, if all the saints are removed from the earth at that point?
1: Well, I believe there's going to be uh, as you know, revelation, I think around chapters between the six and seven seal, you have the 144,000 that have their heads sealed. I believe during that time, as the Bible says, there'll be people the ones that are the the Jews that uh, you know the Bible talks about the Jews that get grafted back in, I believe um, the people who even after the rapture still don't come to the faith, there'll be people the ones that are begging for death in the mountains. I, I don't have the exact verbiage, but I believe it's that group of people uh, that the two witnesses uh, and and that's speculation to who they are, but um, we won't get into that. I believe they're going to be that the mass revival will be the people left, the people that were not caught up, that still get saved after the rapture itself.
0: Okay. And you think that's whom the, 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 the persec- do you guys, would you agree that there's a persecution that happens leading up to the, re- the full return of no. Messiah and you, and Russ, you said no,
2: no, I, I believe that the persecution happens uh, just like it's laid out in Matthew 24 in that order. So the persecution you? would, would occur, um, where he says, then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And uh, not only that, but where it says, and there shall be great tribulation, which is after the abomination of desolation is set up. I believe that uh, there's also probably going to be some persecution in there as well. Okay. All right. So Christians, I believe that, I believe that, that Christians or believers are here all the way up until Jesus Christ returns. In glory, visibly,
1: and that's where we differ.
0: Yeah, that okay. I
2: was going to say that's where you guys
0: <laughs> yes don't quite agree. Um, all right then. Interesting. So I I would fall more in in Russ's uh, eschatological time frame to where I I feel like that the scriptures tell us um, that we are here um, and it's the show it's you know Revelation twelve seventeen that Satan is the one persecuting uh, those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that Revelation 13 then goes on to tell you how that happens by the first and second beast and the image of the beast that's given life. And that, Mm that, that, uh, that evil squad, if you will, uh, running in the authority of Satan are the ones going out to persecute the saints, which is why Revelation 13, 7 through 10, says that, um, you know, this, this will happen. So, you know, prepare yourself. And uh, that's so to me, um, you're saying that group, uh, Pastor John, you're saying that group would fall after the saints have been taken away and then new brand new believers are would fall into that group. So, and those brand new believers, if I heard you right, would you, you said the two witnesses. So you think that they came to faith because of the two witnesses?
1: So now I want to, I want to say what I'm going to, I'm going to make this clear that obviously when it comes to eschatology, uh, I don't want to be, you know, dogmatic. This is one of those subjects. I don't believe that we can, I think there's a lot of things that point to my, my position, but, but on all of our positions it would seem obvious to me and it would seem obvious to you guys, but we can't be dogmatic because it's not, it's not a commandment. So it's not black and white. I wouldn't say in that sense. Oh, okay. Sure. But um Yeah. You know, I mean, just to be fair to the audience Uh that way, I don't, I don't lean somebody towards my position. I don't want to do that. I want to just like a pastor rust. I'm sure you're the same. I want to lead people to truth and that's it. Yeah. So um now restate your question again. Cause I kind of, I what was the question again?
0: Well, you, you had mentioned the two witnesses a minute ago. And so you also had stated that you believe that, Uh, believers in Jesus will be resurrected or excuse me, raptured. They'll be, they'll be taken away. Um, And then after that, there's seven years of tribulation in which the two witnesses, Mm -hmm. were you alluding that the two witnesses will be responsible for these new believers coming to faith who then get persecuted by Satan and the beasts?
1: Partially. Here's my belief based on what I read, which I think is all over scripture. There's, we don't probably don't have time to go into that tonight, but I believe it's Moses and Elijah for multiple reasons. And there'll be a group of, uh, as the Bible says, I think in Revelation chapter 11, I'm not sure, I think it was 11, where we have the 144,000, 12,000 uh, Jewish people from 12 tribes with no guile in their mouth, as the Bible says. And, and I believe, uh, actually, those are the, I'll, first I'll tell you that I think Moses and Elijah are the ones that lead this, uh, this revival. Uh, when their bodies are left dead in the street, I think that the people at that time, they, you know, they waited for Elijah to come at the end of Malachi, so they believed Elijah, and Moses, they tried to keep the law because when people died for that reason. So I think, what perfect people! I mean, to have lead the way, of Moses and Elijah. Considering Moses, you know, Moses was debated over uh, Michael and the, and the devil for the body for a okay. later time. So and, then, uh, so according I, to you, I won't go any further on that.
0: No, it's okay. I just, if I can ask a quick question. Sure. Um, so then, in what you just said, you're um, you would have to assume, right, that you're saying that Moses and Elijah are are what Moses specifically is resurrected to this for this position.
1: Well, I believe it's from previous when his body, I'm assuming it was carried, you know, carried or held for a later time in heaven. I think uh, you could say that I believe the Mount of Transfiguration or or, uh, the Isle of Discourse. And, you know, this is just me, but I think there was probably a discussion where they're like, look, we wanted this to happen, but we need you guys again. You know, that's just my, my point of view on that. But I believe that they were preserved for that revival. I do.
0: Okay. If I answered um, that correctly, do you do you believe that uh, Elijah is dead or still alive, or because there's a lot of different theories on Elijah?
1: Well, theory-wise, well it says Elijah. I I don't see where it said Elijah died. That doesn't mean he didn't. Um, so we got to be careful about verbiage. I don't see where the Bible, as far as I know, said that he died. Yeah, uh, just like Enoch. But um, um, you know he I think he called fire down from heaven, and Moses, uh, one of them shut up the heavens and made it stop raining, and and I think things line up very well to prove that, that those two were the ones that would lead the revival. And again, that w- there's a lot of scriptures based on that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I just fear, you know, for later, if you're interested, I um, you can go on to my milk and make, milk and meat playlist here on kingdom in context. And um, I've done two separate videos, one on Enoch and one on Elijah uh, to show that they have died and, uh, and where, where we place that out in scriptures and everything. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it is interesting. <laughs> um, that uh, that a lot of people... Okay, so I have here on screen that yeah. this is the Revelation 11 moment, and we're talking about the... Uh, oh, I skipped down a little bit, sorry. It says that these two witnesses, they will prophesy for 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. Mm-hmm. So according to your timeline of what you've already stated, if the saints who believe in Jesus are raptured, and then there's a seven year tribulation. Do you think that these guys are showing up at the beginning of that seven years in your mind, or at the middle of it? So that that I couldn't answer uh,
1: at all with any confidence because I just know that I believe they do based on other scriptures. Like I said, that we probably don't have time to talk about, but they could we, have. We came could. The, if you
0: got the scriptures, I'll go to them.
1: Uh, I don't have them prepared, but I actually okay. can pull them up. Um, but yeah, no, I believe that they it could have been that. The, you know, on a Jewish calendar, 360 days, 42 months, uh, 1260 days. I mean, it doesn't mean they could have came at the beginning right after the Rapture. or they could have already been there for a period. And I, I couldn't tell you where they overlapped, but I I, I do believe that uh, if I could just be bold, um, I believe it's actually the generation of um, children that King Herod uh, killed when they were looking for Jesus. I believe that's who they, I'll just be bold and say that I believe based on scripture, that's who the, the people are, the 144,000, if I could just put it out there.
0: Are you, are you saying it's a, a, a collection of, of literal blood-born Jewish folks? Uh, that's from- my
1: belief system based <laughs> on scripture, what, I, what I've seen.
0: Okay. And and I'm guessing you're using the term Jewish loosely as far as literally Revelation 7 lists out all the different tribes. Um, so it's not just the tribe of Judah, but all those, all those tribes listed from the Jewish people.
1: So I believe the 144,000 are the, of the 12 tribes directly. Right. Okay. And they were virgins and they had no gall in their mouth. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now, um, all right. So then you're, you're wondering, you're, you're saying that you're the two witnesses, you don't know if that'll overlap as far as, you know, will they already be alive? Um, because if it is Moses and Elijah, you know, the question comes up, when are they resurrected and brought back? And why doesn't it give us their names and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, because those are pretty important figures in the in the faith um mm-hmm. and i just uh i personally actually and this kind of goes into a, a little deeper conversation but i i personally think that um these two witnesses are just regular people um not because I, because Moses is dead and Elijah is dead and they're in sheol waiting their resurrection and um you know it's it, the whole you know it's uh, men die once basically and then Unless there's a unless there's a resurrection, and usually that happens when three or four days after their death, there they stay in Sheol until the great resurrection when they get their eternal bodies.
2: Could could and I interject for a second? Can, sure. Um The I kind of you know been wondering about this because if if we're going to assume it's Moses and Elijah, they would have to have resurrected bodies, and if you're if we're going to assume that these two witnesses are are Moses and Elijah, that means they're going. Their resurrected, immortal, perfect bodies are going to be slain and killed. That kind of, you know, goes against what we know about our resurrected bodies, right?
0: That's the way I would understand it. From understanding the resurrection body that we're promised, mm-hmm. is that you you couldn't you couldn't kill them. Um, and and what's more is Hebrews 11, 39 and forty. Let me go there real quick. Um, Hebrews 11, 39 and forty tells us that. There's just one time when all of saints together get their resurrection bodies. This is probably the biggest reason I would disagree with the pre-tribulation harpazo idea. And it's right here. um, Verse 39 says there were all these talking about everyone mentioned from verse one to verse 38 of Hebrews 11. These were all commended for their faith. yet they did not receive what they was promised, God had planned something better for us so that together with us, they would be made perfect Mm. so this is everybody at the same time um and that's why i think first thessalonians four set has the wording like it does where paul tries to expound on the idea that you know not everybody will be asleep when this happens but those who have gone asleep will rise first and then those who are alive and remain will uh be caught up together with them and so how i understand those who are alive and remain is 1 Corinthians 15. This is him expounding on that little bit of moment of um, them actually getting, you know, instantly getting their immortal bodies in the twinkling of an eye at that last trumpet. So I guess what, for me, what's what seems to be the qualifier for this this massive resurrection event in which all saints from Adam to the point Yeshua returns a second time is that the last trumpet, which is in Revelation 11, also being referenced in Matthew 24, and right here in 1 Corinthians 15, 53, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, that, and it's also in Isaiah 27, that is the last moment um, where it literally kicks off what's called the Day of the Lord, um, which is where Jesus and the angels start coming through the skies so they can do battle at Armageddon and ride out. Route out the evil kings, the armies of the earth, the first and second beast, Satan gets locked away. That whole moment kind of coalesces on this big epic day that the, the, the prophets always spoke about. And on that epic day is the great resurrection of the saints all happening together where immortality is put onto them. They get their immortal glorified bodies. Mm-hmm. So this is um, which is why I think it's in Colossians uh, where it talks about how we will we will be like him at his coming. Now, uh, is that is that? Are you, a, are you talking
2: about where it says, uh, "We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is"? Yes, uh, I think that's First John. Is that? Oh, is that First John five? I th- think it's First John, maybe chapter two. Yeah, you could be right.
0: Chosen, yeah. Okay, let me go. Let me go there real quick. Good call.
2: First yeah, uh, two twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Okay, so here it is.
0: And now, little children, remain in Christ, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. And if you know that He is righteous, you also know that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. So, not quite as, it,
2: is it? That's well, not quite it.
0: Yeah, but it's it's, it's the idea. It, it's okay. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is. Uh, would you guys, what do you guys think about that idea as far as all the saints being resurrected at the same time together? Because from my understanding of the rapture, it, you know, do you guys think that with the rapture or have you heard it taught that the rapture idea, that's when you get your glorified body also?
1: Well, the only one I know and, and uh, that, that really comes to mind is to be absent with, the, you know, present with the Lord, absent of the body is present with the Lord. And, and I think um, Pastor Russ, which uh, verse is that where it talks about uh, the dead shall rise and the first, you know, the ones that, that uh, were asleep, which in that time meant uh, that's a, dead Thessalonians.
0: first yeah, Thessalonians four, also Daniel 12, one through two and Isaiah 26, 19 to 21. Hey, Sean, that verse was a first,
2: first but... John three, two, first John three, two.
0: Okay. Let's see if I can see that real quick. Um, all right. It says, beloved, uh, we know we are now children of God and what will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Okay. So in in the rapture concept, Pastor John, are you saying that those who get raptured seven years before the full coming of Christ, that they get their glorified bodies at that point?
1: Uh, I, I believe that they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to, um, you know, be with the, they're going to meet somewhere. Uh, they're going to be, um, and
0: yes, I do, I guess. Okay. Yeah what do you feel uh hebrews 11 was speaking about Let's if you put it back up on the screen again sure let me go back to i'm it. not as
1: well i'm not as well versed as some of you guys out there so <laughs> let me read it i can see it in front of me
0: okay so uh, this is the, the last couple of verses of hebrews 11
1: they're all commended to their faith yet they did not receive what was promised god had planned something better for us so together as they would be made perfect uh i, I don't know how i'd read that i mean i you know, you know, the words are literal, but also, you know, when you, when you see the words sometimes, I mean, how, how you see them, might have differing viewpoints. Um,
0: I'm not, I'm not sure how I'd view this. Okay. Yeah. Just, you know, put it in a, put it in the bag and think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because to me, this is the one that really helped me because several years ago, I started trying to figure out the resurrection because I saw uh, it seemed to be, you know, a very important linchpin in the eschatology of the day of the Lord. And so that's when I started looking throughout the, the breadth of scripture specifically on verses that expounded upon the resurrection. And I ran across this one and I was like, wow, man, this is, this is interesting. I've never heard it because again, I grew up in a church that also talked about, um, even though it was like an assembly, a God, like a non-denominational feeling type church. I later for four years, I went to a, a Southern Baptist church, uh, before I got out of high school and they also preached a, a pre-tribulation, pre-tribulation rapture. And so, um, Yeah. They, in fact, I remember they even did a skit one time where it was at a Baptist summer camp. It was called a super summer. And, uh, they did a skit where they had everybody in the auditorium, you know, and they were given the message. It was like a, one of the night messages. And then they turned the lights off and had a dude blow the trumpet in the back of the stadium like from the balcony from the mezzanine like he just blew this trumpet like super loud and then they played over the loudspeakers the sounds of like hoof prints of a horse walking in and then like you know had the spotlight come on people and they were like if you're not right with christ you you wouldn't have made the rapture right then and i just remembered this being like what are we doing um because none of the kids knew the bible You know, like none of the kids that I I was actually there um, in that particular year as a as a counselor. And I didn't know the Bible, to be honest. I was two years old in the faith and um, I didn't know the Bible. I knew it better than, I guess, some others. But looking back now, I realize, oh, my goodness. Um, I I mean, we literally, you know, this a lot of a big focus of this summer camp was um, activities. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, they, they weave in. They weave in biblical concepts through it. And then you had the night, the night's assembly. But ultimately, like the kids sitting there, I just wondered if they felt as I did of thinking like, mm-hmm. well, that was pretty startling. Um, and I don't know if these kids understand what it means to be assured, you know, of your place with Christ, um, because there were a lot of them were, you know, they were there because their youth pastor asked them to go to this retreat. I thought, Oh, summer camp, fun. You know, mm-hmm. we get to go away from town for a week. I'm 16 years old, get away from my parents, you know, go where I can play basketball and soccer and do water sports and all this kind of fun stuff for a little camp thing. So, you know, it's, um, it's just, um, that's where me growing up throughout the most of my twenties and thirties, I have, I was in a place where I thought, man, if I don't understand the resurrection, I feel like I'm missing something because I feel like I don't truly understand the resurrection and with, uh, the timing of it. Right. Because from my understanding, the rapture meant it was like a resurrection of its own. Cause you got your glorified body, but it just happened before the one that, uh, that, that Russ brought up on Matthew 24, that seemed to be saying like at the last trumpet. So mm-hmm. in a pre-tribulation res, uh, rapture concept, is there a trumpet involved? Cause you said Matthew 24 lent to your theory.
1: So I, and I'm, I gotta, and I, I gotta tell you that, that I absolutely see why the perspective of, you know, half, you know, what I call Daniel, the tribulation, I, and, I know that Daniel chapter 10 doesn't say tribulation. I know that. Um, But in my belief, I could see why halfway into the tribulation where where you think of as the great wrath or the the great tribulation, the last half would line up with pre-wrath belief and that it makes perfect sense. Had you said your mid-trib or post-trib, I'd be like, nah, I have too much to just that. But um, I mean, I'm not far off from, from, from that point of view. I mean, so I'm, I just I believe that when when the seals are open, I believe that whole process of Matthew twenty four. I don't know exactly the timing of it all, but I believe that that all has to do with with the seals, all the seals. Uh, but I believe it's first. Okay. Like the actual event of the rapture is first, and I'm not saying that Jesus came back to Earth three times. I believe he meets in the clouds and he lifts up his church, just like in the you know, and I, and I really use the analogy of the Jewish wedding. I know that's not necessarily. dogmatic thing that we can prove relates to that. But I mean, why would why would a good why would he let his bride go through that? Why would he let us go through tribulation? Why would he do that?
0: Well, I'd ask the same question uh for the first century believers. Why let them get dragged in quarter by horses, crucified upside down, persecuted unto death in various ways, stoned? You know, they were That's a good point you know I don't I don't understand why we give ourselves in this generation or any future generation that um, any kind of speciality uh, we're all I feel like we're all guaranteed persecution in some regard um, just to be in this faith and then some parts of the world even today people are still facing horrific persecution similar to first century believers um, specifically for their faith China Nigeria um, Sudan a whole bunch of places um, so yeah I guess I would struggle with the um, the philosophical support for that idea as far as saying, well, God didn't promise his bride to wrath. I, I think that, you know, he said, you'll have trials and tribulations in this world, but take heart. I'm with you till the end of the age, you know? So I, I feel like that's, that's where I would say uh, revelation 14 when I'll put it on screen real quick. Revelation 14 says um, talking about, you know, those who get the mark of the beast, that um, for anyone who receives the mark in its name, right? They're going to be, it's a bad, it's a bad thing for you. Don't get it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he says, here's a call for the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so it's the perseverance. And this of course ties, you know, it's, there's no, you probably know pastor, there's no chapters and verses in Greek, right? So chapter 14 is what we call it, but it's literally just the same information carried over from chapter 13. And chapter 13 is where, we get the introduction of the, the two beasts, the image that mm-hmm. comes to life. Um, but the first beast who's, who's rolling in the authority of Satan, he's given permission to wage war against the saints and to conquer them uh, from every tribe, people, tongue and nation all over the earth. And I guess I would you know, I'd struggle with this, but the pre rapture idea, because I feel like this would be an awesome place for hey, it to, well. de, to delineate and say, and by the way, these are the people that are left on the earth for this time period or a caveat except for the people that have already been taken home. Does that make sense? And and I'd
1: have to, and I'd have to agree with you in in a sense, just like I would pastor Russ. So I'm a pre trib rapture guy, but I do see a lot of points and this is one that's brought up a lot where there's, where there's some, some kind of, you know, martyring. I mean, there's some kind of Mm -hmm. uh, that still happens. And if the church is gone, how's that possible? That's why, um, that's why, since I've really newly been, um, you know, uh, brought to my attention, there, there is a pre-wrath belief Any, I didn't even know that existed, honestly. I know there are three, but i would never even heard of the pre-wrath view. And so I'm kind of looking at these scriptures trying to, you know, I can see perfectly no, what, why, you, why, you, why you have that
2: point of view.
0: Uh, Pastor Russ, you mentioned a pre-wrath uh, belief, mm. right? Well, how, how are you two, are you guys defining that differently? How are you defining those?
2: No, I, I believe that, uh, the wrath that we're not appointed unto wrath. And so I believe that Jesus Christ, uh, returns and that when he, when he, uh, when the resurrection occurs, that after the resurrection occurs, he pours his, like these supernatural events out onto the earth. Um, as laid out in the remainder of, you know, revelation, um, but I, I believe that we're exempt from the supernatural wrath of God, as far as like as His judgment on the earth. You know, I don't believe that we're going to be caught up in the wrath of God. I believe we're going to be spared from that wrath. Okay,
0: and so therefore, just for the sake of the audience, guys, um, mm-hmm. the wrath you guys are defining differently as tribulation, is, right? So I don't,
2: okay, I don't apply the term wrath to anything that the Bible doesn't apply that term to. Well, then what,
0: what would you apply to just the literally him coming out to the sky with the warrior angels and starting to go
2: to Armageddon? Is that so, yeah. So like, or like I believe, I believe that the wrath of God, like the seven bowls of wrath that are poured out on the earth. Okay. I believe that's the wrath
0: of God. That's the wrath. And so therefore the, um, trumpet and seal judgments you think come before the wrath. Yes. Okay. All
1: right. So he believes the first three and a half years. Am I understanding that? The first two sets, the the trumpets and the uh, the horse and the trumpets, you believe that's pre-wrath. And the bowls are wrath.
2: Yeah, I believe that the bowls are the wrath of God. I think that's, I believe that's exactly what the scriptures say.
0: Yeah, it, it does say but that no. those seven bowls are the wraths it poured out. Um, let me go to something real quick if I can find it fast. Yeah. Um, because I actually did an episode on the seal, trumpet, and Bull judgments, and I made these little charts. And you guys might not agree with the charts, but at least I can maybe it'll bring up points of discussion mm-hmm. since we were talking about the timing of all this. And mm-hmm. let me pull it up real quick. Here it goes. That's all right. So I have. All right. So this is this is actually um I'll go pull this up. Okay. So I actually place all the seal judgments starting 42 months before Jesus comes back through the sky. And this is what this this happens in tandem with some of the trumpet judgments as well. So I actually have all these listed out. and from my understanding of putting all these things together, In Revelation, I place them 42 months. Um, They start and end over a period of 42 months. And at the end of that 42 months, Jesus comes back. The full coming, not not a rapture version or a harpazo pre-rapture version, but the full coming. Um, And then the trumpet judgments I go into. um, Let me just fly through these real quick. I go to the idea that these were segmented that some of the trumpets happen quickly. They all happen over a period of 42 months as well, but, but when they happen within that 42 months is what I try to delineate real quick. Um, and I'm going to go to that slide real quick. And the bulls all happen at the same time. be the Lord all in, all in the same moment, which is why there's such worldwide cataclysm. So they all happen within a period of 42 months. And this is when the beast, Apollyon, also starts to reign for 42 months under the authority of Satan. This is why there's persecution and tribulation during that 42 months. And that I, I don't think that there was any secret catching away of, of the saints or even public catching away of the saints at that point. I think that there was still just regular people on the earth and there's there's martyrdom. Um, but what I, what I put it all together, I looked at the seal judgments, and this is what I came up with, which is, as you can see here, the first four seals I have happening in a 42-month time period. And then seal five six and seven um happen incrementally after that seal five happening a little bit after seal four and then six seal six and seven happening literally on the day of the lord as a seventh the the um next to the seventh trumpet so just uh and then the, the trumpets themselves the first five trumpets happening at the beginning of the 42 months and then the sixth trumpet happening um persistent war and persecution that last 72 and then the last trumpet is the last trumpet which is the day of the Lord and coinciding with the seventh seal so that's just the way I came up with it mm-hmm. I don't know if, you know if you guys um, obviously without going over each verse like I did in this presentation if you guys want to you know go back on this video later and look at these slides and, and pick them apart as you choose it's up to you but at least I'll put them on screen for you to screenshot later but ultimately that was um, that's why I've come to the conclusion that there seems to be a lot of things coalescing. And since my research into what defines the first resurrection versus the verses I've heard to try to support the pre-Day of the Lord rapture events. And I think, Pastor John, you said it's not secret. Like, people were seeing this. The verses you were using to support, like Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 4, like, people would see this secret, this, this rapture idea, right?
1: They would, I mean, And there's debate when it comes to, you know, when he says all these things, uh, the end is not yet. Some people debate whether or not that's leading up to the rapture. Some people debate whether it's through the rapture. Some people believe that those events are after the rapture, and it's the whole seven years. And so my position is, I don't know. Uh, it could be kind of all crunched together and, and, and all one kind of simultaneous event. And, and I definitely see the perspective of after the abomination of desolation. I see why that, you know, your view clearly would, would, would point to that. I mean, it makes perfect sense. So I'm not going to say I'm necessarily opposed entirely, but I believe the church, I believe the church is a body of Christ. That's my main, uh, my main point is that the church will be lifted up to believers at that time. And I believe there's also going to be children born in that time period afterwards, you know, okay, could be, sure. you know, Man, for the last, yeah.
0: unless the world's been mass sterilized, but that's a different. Sure.
1: Problem. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm not so far removed from your view at all honestly but just that just that section which is obviously major can, but on the, the Go ahead.
2: Can I screen share Sean? You should be able to. All right. Let me see.
0: There we go. Do you see it on screen brother?
2: Yeah. Yeah, this is this is generally um where I'm at. You know, I might have a couple uh, maybe I'm not 100 percent sure about uh, Revelation chapter six um, when the people are saying the great day of his wrath is come. I don't know if that's just them proclaiming that or if that's actually the beginning of the Lord's wrath. Mm, I kind of feel that it is. But this is this is generally where I'm at with uh, the pre-wrath rapture. This is what I believe.
0: Okay, so you're still you're still holding to a seven year time frame. And then, you're thinking that the Antichrist be- comes out and reigns for seven years.
2: I don't know if he reigns for seven years or or what, but I do know that Daniel's 70th week um, is where where this seven years comes from. Okay. Okay. And I wouldn't call it the tribulation period. I believe that you know Jesus is very specific at, at what he you know, called there shall be great tribulation. Yeah. Um, you know, that's where that terminology comes from. And that uh, immediately after the abomination of desolation, uh, there'll be a great tribulation. So, and so I believe that the day of the Lord and God's wrath uh, are one and the same. Okay.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the way I've seen it and laid out. It seems to be in scripture. It's also in Isaiah 26, it's called the indignation of the Lord. Um, but yeah, I agree. And so, what I what I've uh, come to understand is I'll, this whole conversation seems to always funnel itself back to identifying who the quote unquote Antichrist is, the first beast, because we know who the dragon is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know who that is. Um, and then we have to figure out who's this. You know, Revelation seventeen eight talks about the one you saw come up out of the pit, this beast. Right? He's he's one of the eight kings. He's the but he's the eighth, right? Or he's excuse me, he's one of the seventh, but he's the eighth. Uh, he's the beast who was, who um, is not now, but will be again. Hey, uh, just real quick, sorry guys, moderators in the chat. If you see, if you see any of these posts, go ahead and delete that profile immediately. Just block them from the live chat. Those are spams and from bots. Thank you guys. Um, but yeah, ultimately, that's that's how I've seen this this conversation always funnel back to. How do you guys feel about? that idea as far as do you, do we believe, do we all three believe that the Bible identifies the first beast, the Antichrist character?
1: That's so. nice.
2: Now I'm, I, uh you know, as far as identifying pinpointing like who it, it is, the beast, this or that, um, you know, I'm still kind of studying, um, trying to work all that out because I do know that there's, there is more than one beast. Um, and so what I, I just try to stick with what what i'm con- confident in what i know and so like i would say if if you were to ask me who is you know the antichrist or how do we know who the antichrist is or whatever i would say he's the one who sets himself up in the temple right um like in second Thessalonians chapter 2 the man of sin the son of perdition um i would say that that's the little horn of daniel um and okay. i would say that Those that are... would be the antichrist yeah, those are descriptors that. about what
0: he's going to do. Right, um, right, right. But do we believe the Bible gives us his actual name of who he is? I, I That's, would a good suggest he That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Well, Pastor John, what's your, what's your
1: Oh, I, well, actually, I, had a, I don't know if it's really responding to that. I just had a question similar to that, I guess. <laughs> sure, what's up, brother? Because uh, that might tie in. So I want to ask both of you, who do you, number one, who do you believe is on uh, the white? I just want to hear your, your point of view. Revelation chapter uh, six, verse one, the white horse. Do you believe this is antichrist? Number two, um, um, yeah, revelation six. And then now I'm sorry, excuse me, revelation four. Uh, and, no revelation six are the four horsemen. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, I don't have the scriptures in front of me. I should. That's um, okay. First off, who do you believe that is? Do you believe that's antichrist? That's my first
0: question. Both. You I guys. personally do. I do. Okay. I believe, uh, um, the, the one who's given the crown to go out and make war and conquer the nations. I believe that is the beginning of the 42 months, just like revelation nine, one expounds upon that mm-hmm. it is the antichrist, the Apollyon character that comes out of the pit. So Which I believe, I don't believe that revelation is written chronologically. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's clumps of chapters that are chronological, but then it's, um, almost like a movie, you know, how they show you one perspective, one camera angle, then it backs up and shows the same event
2: from another perspective. Okay. With more with more descriptions, I should have I should have remembered that Sean. Mm-hmm. Me and you have had this discussion already. Apollyon, yep. Apollyon, yep. yeah, yep. Well, it and, literally uh,
0: tells you his name, in Revelation nine eleven. Okay, so then I would say we need to identify who Apollyon is. Mm. And you, would, who do you think I, he is? I think I think the Old Testament does it for us personally. And uh, okay, cool. Let's and history history coincides with it as well. And, um, it is, um, it is Baal. It is, um, Osiris. It's, uh, it's a, a Helios to the Greeks. It's Apollo to the Romans. It's, um, sometimes. So it do you think
2: him. he's appeared on earth before?
0: When he was alive? Yeah.
2: Okay. So do you think he was like an actual, an actual man that died and, and kind of came like yeah. deified in the minds of people?
0: No, I think it was Nimrod from Genesis ten eight. Ooh, Nice. Yeah, and I think that's why it's called the land of Nimrod, the, the place of Assyria, where Babylon began. That's why he was the king of Babylon. That's why uh, Revelation 18 talks about the destruction of all these powers by, is- by Jesus is destroying mystery Babylon. Um, and that's why he, the king of Babylon comes back. And as the Revelation seventeen eight through 10 explains, he was of the seven, but he is the eighth, which means he was here before. Just like it says, the one who was, who is not now when John's writing Revelation, and then who will be again. That's how he can be the eighth, but still be of the seven before him. It, it's assumed that he's brought back, he's resurrected. So I uh, just put this on screen real quick. This is in ancient history. Uh, this was the only character that is synonymous between the Mesopotamians, the Akkadians, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Greeks, and the Egyptians. Um, they all worshiped the same character, but had a different name for him. And this is uh, even a lot of people don't realize that Greece ruled the world. I'm sorry. One second. Let me put this on screen. Greece ruled the world for a thousand years or ruled Egypt for a thousand years. So a lot of the Egyptian words for their gods are actually Greek transliterations. So Osiris, who was underneath Ra and the Egyptians considered Ra as Satan, the actual Satan rebellious angel character and his underling, if you will, his right-hand man was Osiris to the, uh, to the Egyptian lore. Um, but that name is a Greek transliteration of the name Asher from the Egyptian. And Osiris is the god of, the only god of the ancient gods that they that the pagan nations worshipped that was guaranteed to return. He was the only god that was promised to be resurrected and return. Um, he is, um, why this, this would be why I would say Revelation 9 tells us that this guy comes up out of the pit. Because that's where people go when they die, and that's where the unclean spirit, a portion of the unclean spirits, are kept. Um, and that's why he returns from there and immediately is underneath the authority of Satan that's given to him. Because it's just the return of this ancient duo, if you will.
2: So um, I, I have a I have a buddy sitting by, and uh, he had a question about Revelation nine eleven. Um, so if it if it's Nimrod, um, he's wanting you to address uh, the fact that it, he's referred to as an angel in revelation ver- chapter uh, nine, verse 11.
0: And yeah, it, yeah. The, the word angel in the Greek is the agalos and it, and it doesn't always mean uh, angels of God from heaven. It's um, so clearly this one comes out of the pit. So it's the word messenger is what the definition of that word means. So a messenger is someone who's going out in someone else's authority which is exactly what we see in Revelation 13, that the first beast, as Revelation 17, 8 says, the one you saw come up out of the pit. Also in Revelation 11, verse 8, it says the one who came up out of the pit, the beast that came out of the bottomless pit, he's the one who ends up killing the two witnesses. Um, he is under the authority of Satan and the dragon. I have a question. a interject sure. real quick.
1: Who sure. do you believe in Genesis chapter 1? Uh, I believe in the second line of chapter 1, it says that, uh, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Do you believe that the deep, the tahome, that Greek word tahome? abyss as below the earth.
0: Do you well, I, think, I feel like the context tells me in that particular verse that it was the water that was, that the land was unformed, that it was, the water was there with the land unformed and the water had yet to recede to, to reveal the dry land. So you don't, you don't see that
1: in your opinion. Um, you don't see that as the place, you know, made, obviously how it was created for Satan, not for unbelievers originally.
0: Oh, so, okay, but you're, aren't you assuming that um the abyss um or the abuso, as it's sometimes said in the Greek, mm-hmm. that, that that was made for Satan and that Satan, I, okay, so this goes into another fun conversation. <laughs> Where do we believe <laughs> about the origins of the Satan character? Oh boy. So are we talking gap theory between, you know, Genesis one and two? I would just say we that? just use what scriptures are given to us, but I mean, you can, you can tell, say whatever theory you have. Russ, what do you think, buddy?
2: No, dude, he's asking you, bud.
1: (laughs) You have more experience than me. I want to hear what you say (laughs) first.
2: (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, I mean, from what I know, I, well, I don't, I know that uh, it's spoken about when uh, the third of the angels fell and I'm not sure exactly what scripture that is. So I'd be Revelation
0: 12, one through
1: five, Revelation 12, one through five. Mm
0: -hmm. But that doesn't say a third of the angels fell. Actually, that's kind of a exegeted or eisegeted onto the text. It says that when the dragon swept his tail and pulled a third of the stars out of the sky.
1: I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so here's a question real quick. Do we believe that Satan fell from heaven before Adam and Eve were in the garden?
2: Hmm. Well, well the
1: order weird. I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good question.
2: I'm interested a, to hear your theory or your please. position.
0: Well, I see, I see. I've heard that all my life, right? And I think that that a lot of that theory, since it's not specifically exegeted from scripture, um, I believe a lot of it comes from a sixth century apocryphal work called the book of Adam and Eve, where it speaks about angels, Satan, who took a third of the angels with him before Genesis one creation came down to the earth and was, and, or I should say before Adam and Eve were created, this theory from this book says that they satan and his rebellious angels came down and ruled over the earth and then when man was created and put in the garden they were jealous and started attacking man um and so i've heard that carried over into catholic and protestant church teachings for the last you know all my life and but that would have come from the sixth century book that i would not consider scripture at all um and so i i I try to ask folks because i heard growing up you know in all church all my life that satan fell from heaven and, and then he took a third of the angels with him. And, but yet when I read the scriptures, I see Job chapter one and two, and I see Satan literally goes to the throne and gets, comes before the father, which by the way is, is Torah. Um, and he goes before the father and he says, Hey, um, you know, and Satan God asks him, Hey, where you been? And he says, going up and down on the earth, just moving around freely, you know, to the point where he can literally go to uh, the heaven and present himself to the Father um, for this conversation about, about Job, um, I see only Satan appear with Yeshua and to tempt Jesus. And then I see the unclean spirits that Jesus encounters um, working under the authority of Satan. But I don't see a bunch of other angels that rebelled. I see the only, I mean, and this this kind of goes into another conversation of the, the canon of Bible that we've received in our in our North American existence and culture versus like other canons around the world who have books that that have been found with the DC scrolls and are tested theologically and archaeologically and textually that fit and give us all these answers as far as who was Satan, where did he come from? Where did the unclean spirits come from? Because we don't even know, like all these unclean spirits we see Jesus interacting with, the old testament doesn't tell us where they came from. That's a really good point. But there are books that do, Jubilees and Enoch, that the ancient mm-hmm. Israelites used to read, but they're not canonized. So,
2: well, who came up with the canon? Oh man, I'm staying out of this one, <laughs> Sean. You <laughs> already not, know my position. I'm staying out. That's of not this.
1: my. That's not. That's. I'm not going to get into. that. I don't know. I. I'm. I'm mildly educated. I'm not going to with somebody like you who's been more educated. I'm not doing that.
0: Well, just for frisco later. <laughs> I'm not doing that. It's okay. Just for later, I do an entire show called Honoring Kings, and we just, all we do is we dig into the canon process, the books that were taken out, that books that used to be in our American canon in the 1500s, and then 14 of them were removed in the 1880s. Um, that's crazy. Who gave them the authority to remove those books? So there's little things like that that I think the average uh, believer, you know, sitting in a pew at church who just gave the heart to Jesus and doesn't really know much else, and then they come across Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 5, and the demons are begging Jesus not to send them back to the pit. And you're like, what's all that about where they, where these demons come from? Why do they don't want to go to the pit? Or like in Matthew eight, when the demons say to Jesus, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? And you're like, okay, well, what, what are they talking about? What's the context there? Mm-hmm. Well, the context is given to you in Enoch, in the first book of Enoch, in the book of Jubilees, it's great to tell. It tells you that these were the disembodied spirits of the giants from before the flood, whom after the flood, this is even spoken of in the book of Joshua, uh, he references it in his prayer to Yahweh about these, these idols, these gods that the people are prone to worship. They're actually the same gods that people were worshiping from before the flood, the, the bodies of the Nephilim, the offspring of the giants and the, and the, the rebellious angels. Um, so this is a whole storyline that I know a lot of seminaries don't even agree with, which is heartbreaking to me, because in order to not agree with them, they literally have to ignore the definitions of the words. And that's where I struggle growing up because i love to write and um i actually self published two books when i was younger and i'm 42 today and i i just I'm i've always old. Had this, I know right i have got a if i get the lighting just right you can't
2: see my gray hairs no you can't even see them now you you, you look like you're 15 still dude i hate you
0: <laughs> yeah yeah this is why i uh sometimes when i'm talking with people and they they get surprised you know cuz I started talking about something I've been studying for 22 years and they, you know, they're like, what are you doing? How do you know this? So well, that's an uh, eighth
1: year into this. I've written, actually written two books. I have one out and this is only my, I mean, eight years ago, I didn't know who Noah was.
0: There you go. Yeah. See, it's, yeah. it's a learning curve for us all.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's one of the questions that I stumbled upon, uh, Pastor. Uh, it was that I, these demons, man, I mean, like no one's explained them to me and no one's explained where where Satan came from. Not thought that was kind of an issue. Right. Because if here's the big question. I think we should all just to try to keep it simple. Whether we agree with yeah. these books that weren't in our American canon today or not, where is is do we agree that Satan is a rebellious angel? OK, so we all agree on that. Russ? Mm, agree yeah. That? Yeah. OK. Um, so the rebellious angel. Uh, so none of the other angels were created to live in a pit underneath the earth. And, and even if we go with the classic narrative that Satan was cast down from the from heaven um, then he, then that means he was there originally. He, he wasn't in a pit. He wasn't coming up from the pit. So uh, according to the ancient Hebrews, okay, go ahead. I mean, in a
1: glorified form or I mean, how do we know what form that might be? I mean, are, are angels promised anywhere in the scriptures to have a change of body? Well, we know they've they've um, they've um, um, they've become human. I mean, they've they've been in materialized bodies, right? We know in Abraham and Sodom, right, and places like that. I'm I'm, I'm not trying to debate that. I was just that's okay. We just saying, you know, obviously, there's there's some stuff they were with uh, God in creation. I believe
2: that Job chapter eight. Yeah, that right. they saw. They rejoiced as they saw creation. And that's um, as
0: far as
1: I want to take that. I was just asking. You. Okay. The
2: reason why I didn't want to get into the conversation, Sean, because you know, you know, my view on like scriptures in the Bible. I think we discussed it before. I'm, you know, I hope nobody flings any stones at me, but I'm King James Bible only. Like that's what I, you know, and, you know, I don't really, I know we and you have had discussions on this before. um, But, just for the sake of not turning this into, like, an argument, because, like, I know we each know are, and are familiar with each other's position. Um,
0: I mean. It's okay. The stuff we're talking about can be found in the books that used to be in the King, G- King James before they write Right, the Apocrypha, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. By the way, the word Apocrypha, given to by a 15th century guy, um, not not given by God, right? So, if if you didn't know that that word apocrypha applied to just 14 of those books which the catholic church decided to call deuterocanonical and you just got saved and grabbed a bible and started reading it would you know any different that the book of tobit or the book you know would you know that that was not supposed to have the same weight as the book of hebrews or the book of
2: joshua well i don't i don't uh, ascribe to the fact that uh, that they should have you know should or shouldn't have taken out the apocrypha you know what i mean i just um i got a 1611 that's you know i'm a kjv
1: guy only too. 1611 i'm all about it nothing but
2: awesome i I know
0: what (laughs) did did jesus what did jesus what kind of translation Uh,
2: he he quoted the septuagint right yeah the greek septuagint yeah yeah um refer to him (laughs) as scripture yeah
0: what do you guys think the language um the original language was before the Tyre bible Hebrew, period. Hebrew is the oldest known complete language
1: known to man, as far as I know. Okay. Did you know that Jubilee's chapter eleven tells you that?
0: That Hebrews was the language of creation?
1: Jubilee, the, the book that wasn't put in the Bible, that wasn't in the canonized Bible.
0: That it wasn't referred... put in the in the Catholic Bible, but was quoted by the early church fathers up yeah. to the third century and put in the Ethiopian Orthodox canon. So for I, I, years.
1: I stick to the one, that, <laughs> the KJV, the 66 books that are in it now, not seven yeah. more. None of it's
0: that, okay. So. It's okay. I'm okay. just saying what you're repeat, what you're saying, what you've guessed from the scriptures is actually stated in another book that other, other believers around the world can see, consider scripture. Right. Yeah. I, I understand um, by what I believe, yeah, I'm just saying like we, we're, I think it would be, it would be challenging for us in this modern age with all this information at our fingertips to 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 ad- admit that we have a revised version of the bible and think that that's suddenly the only information that we should at least look into that's all i'm saying so with that in mind though the the revised version of the bible that we have in the united states today doesn't tell you where demons or or satan came from and to me that's kind of a that's kind of a plot hole as far as we know, where do we do we know in when the angels were resurrected or the angels themselves? Do we know when they were created? Well, Russ, do you have anything to say to that? I'm asking the tough questions tonight.
2: What's ask that? Ask that again. I'm sorry. I was my buddy was asking me a question or making a statement.
0: When were the angels created?
2: Um, probably during the six days of creation. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, if, um, because I I believe that um, Yeshua, Jesus, who was sent as the the Messiah through the womb of Mary, um, I think that he existed with the Father before the world began, as he states in John 17, 4 and 5. And I think that he is the firstborn of all creation, as far as being, coming forth from the Father at some point. Uh, It doesn't really tell you when or where or how, but I think that he has precedence over the angels, not even, not just because he's now glorified and given more authority than them, but also because he was with the father before everything was created, um, before the world began. So I, go ahead. Sure. I was just saying, I I would agree with you, Russ, that that day one is where I would say the angels were created. So help us fulfill the Job 38, uh, seven passage, whereas they watched creation being made and sang for joy. Um, So that would place them at day one. That was my speculation growing up. And then I found that that was directly stated in Jubilees chapter two, verse two. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was fascinating. So if we as modern believers, if we went across the world and we went to um, visit people that have kept an Armenian canon or an Eastern Orthodox Tawahid canon for thousands and thousands of years, even older than the Catholic Church, they have all these books preserved. These same books that were preserved are also found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it actually helps us clarify. It doesn't change the narrative at all. It doesn't change anything that our modern Bibles say. Um, It just helps us clarify in some of these little details. And one of the details it tells you is, oh, by the way, Satan was a rebellious angel that came down with the rebellious angels of Genesis six verses one through four. And his name was Azazel. And the, he did not take a wife and have children like the other guys that did. That's why he wasn't locked up and put in Tartarus like the other angels that Peter mentions.
2: And And the
0: lowest lowest cavern uh, below the earth. And then, the unclean spirits that came from the union of the watchers, the rabbiest angels that did take wives from men and had children by them that were considered giants. Those, they died, their bodies died, but then their spirits were still left here. And then after the flood, it says that Moses prayed to to Yahweh and was asking him for help because these unclean spirits were now afflicting his sons and his sons' sons. And he's like, these are the offspring of these watchers and their, their spirits are unclean. And they're made to attack men and to destroy and bring sickness, and they're, they're affecting us. And so 90% of them at that point, according to the prayer of Noah, was locked away in the pits, in one side of the pits, if I could put it like that. Um, and then a tenth of them were left out on the earth to be under the control of Satan to do what we see doing in the, the Gospels. Whereas you've got Satan and the unclean spirits as the bad guys being listed that are afflicting man and trying to tempt Jesus, and um, and that's whom has to be dealt with. That's who we all still deal with is an overarching authority figure over the bad guys. The as Paul calls it in Ephesians chapter six, the principalities of darkness, right? And you have a Satan character with these unclean spirits under his control to go out and afflict and tempt and, and you know harass mankind and seduce us into into disobedience basically um, and sorry I, I took a little bit longer but you had a question brother
1: uh, yeah and, and it's I'm trying to keep uh, hear what you're saying but also kind of remember back when it, when this question came up and and I want to make sure that you know and at no point am I ever being disrespectful or anything like that I, I do it. have a question for you as a educated guy as a sure uh, you know, and totally in respect you know verses like first Corinthians one twenty. I think um, you were saying you know there's these books you know the Apocrypha, the, the six or seven books in the Dewey Rehm's Bible that have been added, right? Things like, well, excuse me, the book of Enoch, for example, which is highly disputed that things in the book of Enoch are pliable to, you know, some people use the book of Jude to say it belongs in the Bible. And um, what I'm trying to get at, (laughs) my brain's going everywhere. Um, I think so often when we talk about eisegeting and inputting stuff, sure, there's a lot of, you know, Jesus says there's a, I think the Bible says there's there's a, if Jesus had all of his words written, they wouldn't fit. They wouldn't even fit.
0: John chapter 21 yeah
1: yeah and so uh, my quote you know even in the in the genealogies in genesis genesis 5 if it doesn't name every single family that was ever made does that mean if you think there's a book out there or there's there's some scholarly advice out there there's there's apocrypha that all that stuff needs to be put in because you know the bible says not to add or take away from the word you know in revelation so why in the case it- of all the other books like Enoch why did why would you want to apply that or isagite any of that it well means- not the, Canada, John, my
2: question. John, if I may, um, sure. in The sure. the statement that you made in reference to uh, what Revelation said, I, I I believe that he's referring to actually the book of Revelation. Yeah.
0: Same thing with oh, Deuteronomy. People have said that statement. I
2: disagree. Yeah, the same, I disagree. same statement in Deuteronomy.
0: Um, so yeah, that's a great question, though. That's a, that's a fun uh, segue, um, and I, and I do want to answer your question that no. Sure. No, you got to test these things. And the Bible gives us a test. We actually, on, on that show, Honor of Kings, we actually talk about that test and how do we test because we're not just going to accept anything. I mentioned a sixth century apocryphal work called the Book of Adam and Eve earlier. And I said, I would not consider that scripture. We tested it. Right. We got it on, on season two of Honor of Kings, right? Because it doesn't line up theologically uh, with uh, on a variety of standards and the manuscript history, the, the chain of custody doesn't line up at all either. But there are books that do. Right. This, why other Christians around the world that weren't a part of the Catholic Church or the Protestant Reformation, they have had a, a canon for much longer and they put them in theirs. So that's, that's, I just try to consider, okay, well, why? I would look at why did they put those books in there? Why were 14 of those books in our American canon so until 1880? And these two dudes that uh, were, you know, Anglican and one of them not even a believer mm-hmm. took it upon themselves with their own authority to take 14 books out of my Bible. So I think I want to know what those books said. So if I was in the 1600s, I would be reading those books, I'd have access to the Book of Baruch, and you know these types of things, right? So I I want to know what those say, and what those talk about, um, and so. But as far as like, if we were going to take the the end statement of Revelation, and say that it's trying to speak about the modern American canon of only sixty six books, well, Revelation was written according to John's vision, Revelation, uh, in the first century A.D. So that you know you guys may be familiar with the canonization process there was one that happened in the second century ad and then another one that happened in the third century ad where they chose different books between those two year time periods so then one of them didn't want revelation in there and the other one did revelation got put in there later so this is before this is you know way back in the second third century ad um that, that person completely ignored Revelation's warning at the very end and didn't think it applied to all the other books they were collecting the scrolls for to make a complete canon. But my question would be, if Deuteronomy also says the same thing, he who or takes away from Israel, you know, that there'll be problems. And do we then consider that Revelation was also talking about Deuteronomy? We should definitely, you know, does that encompass Deuteronomy as well? And everything that Deuteronomy says, we shouldn't add or take away from Deuteronomy? Well, first off, I don't, uh, and
1: no disrespect to, to Pastor Russ, I absolutely don't believe that that book, and by definitions, mean the book of Revelation at all. I believe that's the whole, even though it's not a book, it was a collection of different things. I believe that's referring to the whole canon of the Bible, and that's respectfully disagree on that. <laughs> and I just think there's so many things that we could say. So I think the enemy could use so many different things, like, you know, the book of Enoch or the, the Apocrypha and all these different things that could have been let, you know, first John five, seven. I mean, what's the debate on that? People say that wasn't in, it was in, and that takes out the deity of, G- of God being the, uh, the Godhead. Uh, and that's a debate people have on before or after things were, you know, so we, we get into all that. It starts, you know, desecrating the word we have now in the KJV. Does that makes sense. Would I say that too fast?
0: No, it, it makes sense. Uh, and, and respectfully, brother. I've definitely heard these arguments before. Um, and I've, Continue to the more i continued to study the more i saw that there's some there's some assumptions made in some of these arguments the biggest one being you know the the collection of books we have today was not the collection of books that john had when he's writing the book of revelation the first century a.d so what what did he have is it like yeshua jesus our messiah what did he call scripture in the first century a.d well, The a Torah. Question. okay well at the time jesus you know he learned the torah five books they do you mean he didn't have isaiah he quoted from isaiah
1: he did, but I mean, they, I'm only say it this way: they were obviously taught to read every year, as Jewish people, right? From my understanding, they read for the Torah once a year. Is that correct?
0: Well, on the synagogues and every Sabbath. In my they, limited understanding. I'm asking you. And they would read from this every Sabbath in the synagogues. They would read from the scrolls, both. Uh, you know, they would. I don't know their exact process. You know, their liturgy, but they would take. Right. You know, from what I understand, it seems as if even when Yeshua stood up to read the day that he did in Luke chapter four, he read from Isaiah 61. He did the day of our Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'm just saying there's a lot of the law and the prophets in the, in the Psalms is what in Luke uh, you should refer to as the scriptures, but then he also quotes from stuff only found in the book of Enoch multiple times. You're talking about Matthew and the book of Matthew. Uh, there or, 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 As well as other places. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, but, so what I've noticed though, is, you know, not, not to make this a discussion about canonicity or, you know, um, alternate canons or whatnot, but just simply to say that it, I, when I look at me trying to pin down the timing of events that happen around the day of the Lord, and when it comes to the idea of a resurrection or pre-tribulation catching away, um, I start the way my brain works anyway is I start to try to say, okay, well, who are these characters being mentioned in this process? So I can help better flesh out the context of everything being mentioned in this storyline. And mm-hmm. the storyline that I, you know, the first thing that I try to figure out is, all right, well, who's Satan? <laughs> Jesus interacts with him. You know what I'm saying? He's in Revelation 13, Revelation 12, doing all this stuff. He gets mm-hmm. locked away in Revelation 20 for a thousand years. Um, you know, who is, who is this guy? What's going on here? How did, I thought angels could just like pass through walls and appear in rooms. I th- how does a chain wrap him up? How did, what's going on there? What kind of chains are these? Oh, by the way, Enoch 54 tells you exactly what those are and where they come from and how Michael grabs them to use them on the day of the Lord. A lot of people don't realize that the book of Enoch speaks about the second coming of the Messiah with great, great detail. It's, it's fascinating. It's actually suspect why, um, people from the Catholic empire, if I could put it like that, would want to leave it out, actually. It's actually pretty suspect because it speaks about the Messiah just so much. So, so if um, I could say,
1: um, sure, this is my my little brain, my archaic way of thinking, my, my King James only type of thinking. I believe that if God wanted it in my ears and the canon we have today, King James, that I don't need to, I'm not saying the book of Enoch, for example, is not great literature and there's information in there that, that you know you could apply it in any way you want to but i believe just for me if it's not and this is my simplicity sean Mm -hmm. uh, and so i could you know i could be wrong obviously but i believe if god is a big enough god that if he wanted me to have the word untarnished he would he would he would have told me he wouldn't have he could if he could preserve it he can preserve it exactly right in the in the version and the book that i read
0: today do you think do you think that all the christian believers That currently live today in Ethiopia who've had the Book of Enoch for 2,000 years, do you think that they have a wrong version of the Bible?
1: You know, that's a great answer if I had it, but I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I couldn't decide on somebody's uh, salvation or not based on... He says he makes himself known in his creation. We can get saved by reading the New International Version of the King James. There's 14, 15 verses that'll get us salvation, but it's like coffee. I could drink coffee with salt in it or coffee... I'll still get coffee and one's a lot more pure, but you'll get coffee either way. And so Sure, I think he makes himself known as creation. I would never say they're not going to have salvation because they didn't either hear about Jesus uh, or had our version.
0: I'm talking about people that believe in Jesus. These are actual uh, strong nation of belief. They're the only nation in the world that literally declares itself from its government as a Christian nation. And they've had a canon for the last 2,000 years uh, that they've preserved as Christians. um, And they've included books that are not in our modern American KGB canon. Or Actually, some of them used to be, but then they were taken out So anyway, I just think that that, you know, I understand, I hear what you're saying. Um, We have a big God and he's capable of doing what he wants to do, but there are obvious signs. Um, And there's a book that was in the KJV in the 1600s called Second Ezra that uh, actually says that the the high priest Ezra, and this this is in chapter 14, that he was commissioned in the sixth century BC to restore 204 books of all the his uh, the israelite uh, scriptures and this was the days of ezra the, the priest ezra and that he and that god told him you're going to take i think he said 90 or, or a certain amount of books you're going to keep for the public reading and then the rest of them of those 204 you're going to put away for people not to read how interesting is it that that book was taken out of our american canon the one that tells you there's more books
1: Hey, I'm not saying the stuff you're mentioning makes sense from the perspective of accepting anything outside the canon of the KJV that we have today. And so for me, again, what I'm trying to say, brother, is
0: I I don't want to I don't want to belabor it. All I'm trying to say is for your consideration for going for the future. The KJV used to have a book in it that tells us there's more books in it than 66, that God gave more books preserved through a high priest and a scribe for mankind, for Israel to know and understand more than just the 66 that we have. And that book specifically was taken out of the KJV. So it's just something to consider. Um, all right. So that's where I was just trying to say, like, I know it's a big conversation and there's a lot of things that tie into it, which is why I was happy that Russ said, hey, we should have this separate conversation. You know? <laughs> and uh, because I know that it's not always as simple like you guys, uh, we already talked about, like in the first 10 minutes, we both all stated our case and what we believe on rapture or resurrection, right? But there's so much more to it when you start to dig into, all right, why, why do you believe the timing starts off, you know, like a, a three and a half years or a seven years? Like, you know, you and both, you and Russ disagree with each other, but yet the graphic that he used also showed a seven-year time period where the Antichrist reigns, which I would mm-hmm. disagree with that. I think the Antichrist, is name for us as Apollyon Revelation 9. It says he only rules for 42 months. And at the end of his rule, Satan comes and kills, or um, uh, Yeshua comes back and kills him. and throws him in the lake of fire.
2: Revelation so I got 9, a question for you, Sean. Sure. Um, real quick. So what do you think about in the book of Daniel where it says that he confirms a, the covenant with many for one week? What do you what do you what do you think that's referring to? I'm not I'm not trying to, like, trap you in a question or anything or just <laughs> debate not, with you. I just all I'm just asking no trap, because okay. because if that begs the question, if, when you say that it's only 42 months for mm-hmm. the Antichrist. Right. So that my mind immediately goes there to one. And I wonder what is your take on, on that with the, he'll what confirm chapter, what chapter I only pull nine. it up. One second
0: chapter nine. Yeah.
2: I'm pretty sure it is, but
0: so here it is on screen. But of course there's, there's context um, after this. I've personally, this all this year um, after 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing than the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary End will come like a flood until the end. There will be war, desolations have been decreed, and he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put an end to a sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple will come the abomination that causes desolation until the decreed destruction is poured out upon him. Me personally, this is the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Titus comes in, breaks the agreement that they had as far as Judea being a vassal state of Rome, and destroys the temple. And do you guys know the Roman custom when they actually invaded? And took over the temples of foreign lands. They would bring their gods, the gods of Jupiter and Rome of Zeus, um, and put them inside of the temple. And then and sacrifice not just a pig, but also an ox and some and another third animal. They would sacrifice it on mm-hmm. the altar of that opposing nation's temple, which would be the abomination that causes desolation, and why the destruction that was decreed, which was the A.D. destruction of the of the temple that Yeshua referred to, as well as tes- testified um, earlier in the scriptures that they. That you know, there, this would be the end of the age, the end of this age where the Father's temple with a pre, an active priesthood on the earth would be discontinued, and then the age of the Gentiles is in effect as Yeshua is the High Priest in the temple in heaven, Hebrews eight one through five, until He comes back, and so when He comes back, that's where you know Isaiah 66, 17 through twenty one, um, the New Jerusalem sets down on the earth, Yeshua as the High Priest of the Malch- Malchizedek priesthood reigns from inside the New Jerusalem, but outside in, in the outside the New Jerusalem is Isaiah CT 6, 17 to 21 where he chooses new Levites so they can reign amongst the so, little man on the earth. So I got,
2: has, I'm sorry, go ahead. I got another question for you then. Matthew 24-15, okay. do you believe that was that's already been fulfilled from our vantage point? Let me see here.
0: So So when you see, uh, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination of desolation described by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are injured flee to the mountains. So from my understanding, yes, this particular statement that's lumped together with this whole, this full conversation that we're just getting snippets of. Yes, I would think that this is the contextual qualifier that this is what Daniel was talking about. This is going to happen, you know, about approximately 38 years after Yeshua is resurrected. And this is a lot of people speaking. This day will still be alive when this happens.
2: Okay, and so, uh, so in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter two, the man of sin, mm-hmm. uh, verse three and four, do you believe that that's referring to the same the same event? No, this is the actual. To me, this is going to be the
0: um, uh, the day of the Lord concept. This okay. is going to be the the Apollyon Antichrist character. Which is why, there. It, you see, it says he sets himself on the temple of God, proclaims himself to be mm-hmm. God. So, so you wouldn't God. say that's the abomination of desolation. You would no, this say, is why okay. I say the second beast. What he's doing here in his uh, in chapter thirteen of Revelation, um, it says the second beast perform great signs to cause even fire from heaven to come down to the earth in the presence of the people. This was how fire coming down from heaven, this was how God validates an offering and or ordains a temple multiple times in the Old Testament. It happens in Leviticus 9 and 1, uh, 1 Kings chapter 8. So if the second beast is performing a fake sign and wonder to deceive people, that's why he would do this sign. Is because he's setting up worship to the first beast. And they have to have a temple that they do this by. This is why, guys, I've said When we, when we qualify and we actually find out who is the first beast and we see that this guy Apollyon was just the Latin transliteration of the Greek Apollo or the Roman Apollo. And that, that was the same God of Osiris and the same God of Baal, the same God of like all these other Ninurta to the Akkadians and the, and the Mesopotamian Babylonians, like this, they all knew who this was. So the people that are listening to John in the first century AD, when he, when he got this revelation they would know exactly who Apollyon is. They literally still had cults to Apollyon in um, the region of Asia Minor, active at that time. There was a, there was a, a, a temple to the Godhead of which Apollyon was a part of in Pergamum, which was the temple of Zeus. So Apollyon was under the authority of Zeus in that in that Greek Godhead. So these people knew exactly who Apollyon was, and mm. I I can even tell you guys who the second beast is uh, that I had on screen here. Hey. He's he's listed in Jeremiah thirty five. He's this guy named Nurgle. He was a right hand man to apollyon
2: hey Sean <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm trying to wrap my head around this because I you know I, I think I've heard you uh explain this position before um okay. just for the sake of my understanding to try to understand where you're coming from and uh so in matthew twenty four right if we look at verses fifteen to twenty one okay particular particularly. Um. Verses twenty and twenty-one. Do you do you believe that the great tribulation then is a is a this great tribulation spoken about in verse twenty-one that that has already occurred back when the abomination of desolation and everything took place in verse fifteen in this passage? No, that,
0: no that's why I said like I did that Matthew twenty-four is tricky, just like Luke seventeen, because there's uh-huh. multiple conversations happening that are comprised or summarized by Matthew as one chapter, as we see it with the chapters and verses added. So that's why at the beginning, if I'll put this on screen at the beginning of Matthew 24, one, um, actually it's verse three. While Jesus was sitting on the mountain, all his disciples came to him privately said, tell us, they said, when will these things happen? That's plural. These things, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So we got one. When will these things happen? The things that he was just talking about in verse two, Mm-hmm. And and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Mm-hmm. Two separate concepts being addressed, and Yeshua is addressing both of them in their conversation. The way that it's recorded in Matthew, it, it's putting it all that all that full conversation together. I guarantee you, there was a lot more back and forth between the disciples and him than what we just have limited in these little verses.
2: Right. So in verse twenty-one, the for where it says, "For then shall be great tribulation," um, yeah. what when do you think that happens? When do you think that occurs?
0: Well, for me, that, that is the 42 months when Apollyon's back on the earth and forcing people back mm-hmm. into out and out, open pagan idolatry. That's why in revelation, remember when the, the, um, I think it's in revelation 15 um, where it says, you know, after that plague ha- or after that, um, that judgment was happening and the people still didn't repent from their idolatry. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that verse? I can go to yes. it.
2: Okay. Yeah, you can go to it if you want.
0: So, but, but the point is, Think about where we are today, guys. We're, like, we're, what Revelation is describing us. Like In the culture we have today, there's no temple to Baal where people are going and actually offering open sacrifices that you can go watch. There, it's, all of that is underground, and we have nothing but the symbolism of drawing you away from worship to God through the practices of the enemy, through the practices of Babylon, and are weaved into our culture to get people to try to do them, but it's not open idolatry like it was during the days of Yeshua and and further on back where they literally had shrines on the corners to these gods. And you would go in and perf- perform these horrific rituals um, that are listed off in Acts 15 and first Timothy and a whole bunch of other places. So, and you know, obviously in the old Testament too, right? Uh, Leviticus 17 through 20 um, you know, all these things that the ancient cultures did when they were worshiping the idols that's coming back back. And by the time we get to the end of the age where Yeshua comes back and he has to take out the first and second beast, they've reinstituted that. That's why he's given a bow uh, and a crown, symbolic of him being placed with authority and military power. And he goes out to conquer the nations. That's why the second beast can create, to give a lot breath of life to the image of the first beast who then goes around the earth, forcing people to worship the first beast or the image of it, I should say, or they'd be killed, right? That's conquering them forcing them into worshiping something other than God. The same the same entity that declared himself God in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8 and 9 is the one the first beast and the second is, is the one the second beast is trying to get people to worship, which is the first beast, the Apollyon character, which is yeah. exactly what they did in times past. So I, I just in case you guys didn't know, real quick, I'm sorry, to inter- I don't mean to cut you off, but this last statement, in, in case you didn't know, there, there is a... Um, the, I've, I've done videos on this in the past, and, and Russ, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, but um, it's called the Lucius Trust, and I, I actually show that in the 20th century, there was a name of a lady, um, She was her and her husband were the main advisors to the UN, and they were a part of a theosophistic society with Helen Levotsky, and they believed in reintegrating our American society. She actually published 10 bullet points of how to get Americans away from Christianity that she was going to hope to implement throughout the next 50 years. And a lot of them are being implemented today. I would say, on some level, almost all of them are, which is why our culture is in such decay, decay and decline. And her the, her, the whole purpose of that theosophistic society that was literally the council for the United Nations, meaning this is why there's a temple to, there's an altar to Molech in the meditation room of the United Nations, right? These people are all aligned in the same religious belief. They have their suits on. It's whitewashed on the top level, on the surface level that the people see. But behind the scenes, they literally worship Baal and Satan still, just like the ancient cultures did a long time ago. All their worship just went underground. The Bible, I'm I'm putting forward that Revelation is showing you that the Bible is going to, just in line with what they publicly declared back in the early 20th century, is they want to bring back out into the open public worship of idolatry which is called the externalization of the hierarchy is the language that they used. The hierarchy that they serve is Satan and Baal is, is idolatry, the same idolatry of the Bible. And this is why we see when we get to the point of the end of the age where issue is about to come back, we see the world being persecuted and forced to not worship God or Jesus and to worship the first beast, which is Baal. <laughs> so, yeah, I know it, I know it's a unique concept, but Um, that's literally as we open the show tonight, I talked about a 21 part investigating Babylon series and I go through and break that down step-by-step for 21, 21 parts. Mm. I'm sorry, Pastor John. Oh, I had uh, a simple question. I just wanted to,
1: this is just a kind of a random question, uh, really kind of unrelated revelation six, eight, who are the two people there? Who are the two entities in your opinion? Revelation six, eight, um,
0: that the death and Hades.
1: Well, and
2: yeah, death and hell. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's going to. So um, that's going to be your Apollyon and your Nurgle. So this is what I break down in series, the series, the, the terms of those uh, death being a name that was attributed to the destroyer, which is what Apollyon means. And, and we see that throughout scripture, as well as this Nurgle character who is one of the, the gods. That's I'm, I'm using his Babylonian name, but he was called Hermes to the Greeks, and he was called Anubis to the Egyptians. And in fact, there was a time in history where when the Greeks took over, or when the Romans took over, they said, oh, well, these are the same gods. We, they literally just called him Hermenubis because it was the same God. So they mixed both names together, but he's identified as uh, this guy named Nurgle in the book of Jeremiah as, as being the name that the Babylonians gave him and the Assyrians hmm. gave him. And he is the second beast. He's the right hand man to Apollyon. That's why it says both of these guys are riding together and death. And then hell Hades is directly behind him. Hades is, is another name for Hermes. Or for It's not the, is it
1: the abode of, I love the information by the way. I've learned a lot from you just doing the show today. Oh, that's um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, do you do you believe Hades is the abode of the dead or hell? I know that in some versions like NIV it says uh, Hades. What's your what's your point of view on that?
0: Well, I think that uh, I the think word the english word hell is just a loose translation for hades which both the greek and the hebrew in the in the hebrew is called sheol sure. but in the greek it's called hades and that both you know this lexiconical definition is both greek and hebrew it says it's the the underworld the abode of the dead where the spirits of departed souls go and uh, and then of course that you know we get the luke 16 moment right where if you're righteous you go to one place if you're unrighteous you go to another place right uh, this is exactly that that is another place in Luke 16 19 through 41 John where Yeshua is directly quoting from first enoch 22 just yeah, I just,
1: I love the story I didn't know I didn't that. know that was an Enoch but that's fine yeah, but directly. I do love the story so, you know and
0: I, yeah. so this is where Hades like that the underworld up from this is why revelation 9, 1, 9 through 11 they come up they come up from the earth the beast and the the first and second beast that come out from the earth. So this is why I'm saying, and there's a reason why these two are mentioned together that come out and they make war and they they're doing these things together and you know, affecting the economies and the agriculture of the world and, yeah. and creating famine and disease and plague. Um, oh, and by the way, Hermanubis or Hades or this Nurgle character, the second beast, he was infamous for warfare and medicines and be able to create medicines or, that cause sickness and famine. I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah, if you guys haven't seen our um, Investigating Babylon series, I'd highly recommend it. Um, I actually go through all the history of this and try to make it as clear as possible. And even to the point of explaining what is this image that he gives the breath of life to and causes it to come to life.
2: What do you it's, think that is? It's,
0: it's literally Talos. It's our, it's what, it's what Zeus had in his palace in the ancient world, which was the automatons. And it's, it's literally what he was, they had used and created There's I show all types of uh, cultures from ancient, from ancient India to ancient Egypt, to ancient Greece to um, all these, they all had automatons, which were, uh, early form of artificial intelligence of creating a robotic-like yep. structures that could do things that were programmed. Cool. Yeah, it's hey, hey,
2: dude. Yeah, hold on, hold on. You piqued my interest here with the automaton stuff.
1: A lot of stuff. Yeah. Piques my interest All right, here. hold on,
2: hold on. So you, you're saying that back in the day they had automatons, right? There's direct
0: quotes I found from historians, both Greek and and Roman and Latin uh, historians that talk about that. Um, Zeus, who is in case you guys aren't familiar, Zeus is the same guy that the Egyptians called Ra, and he's the same guy that the Hebrews called Satan. So he is the head of evil, right? He's the he's the one that has control of the unclean spirits. So the Greeks called him Zeus, and they said that he lived on Mount Olympus, and he and in his house he had automatons that were made of gold that were that served as moving tables that they, that would move against the wall and then move out when he came into the room to eat. And then surrounding the island that he lived on, he created a flying robot that guarded the place (laughs) hey this is the ancient greeks this isn't me so this is in concordance with stuff that i show from the ancient indians as well who talked about it as well with their gods and how they had automatons uh i had quotes from the chinese the mesopotamians and and even from ancient egypt from the book of the dead but i don't really talk about the book of the dead that much because people can't handle it but ultimately it's just that there's continuity in what they claimed, right and that continuity i see hintings of here in the second beast in revelation 13 saying that he was able to create an artificial character like a non-living being like an image he has know that that technical word in the greek is just an idol so he creates an idol that he gives the you know a figure right a bust a carving of something right and he gives it the and it's made to look like the first beast and then he gives it the breath of life and it runs around the earth forcing people to worship the first beast or be killed so he has individual autonomous decision making skills as he's set forth in motion to go accomplish that mission and actually break down the four levels of artificial intelligence and how um, that what's described in revelation 13 matches the third criteria of artificial intelligence of a a robot that's programmed that can make decisions according to its mission it's given. And that's pretty, you know, that's what we're seeing happen um, with this thing doing persecution, killing people if they don't worship the beast.
1: I think you'd like this uh, Chuck Missler guy. He's,
0: I've heard, I've heard all about him. Yeah. I used to watch his stuff like crazy. Yeah. He's good.
2: So you think that the, uh, the image that is erected in the Holy place, um, you believe that is going to be an automaton. Like now when you say he's going to breathe life,
0: it's not gonna be in the Holy place and it's, it's going to be made to go out and go out on a mission
2: around the earth to force. Oh yeah. The image, right. That he calls everybody to worship. Right. Okay. So, um, when it says he's going to be, you know, He's going to give life to the beast. Like, define life in in that. Is it going to be literally alive, or is it going to be like as no, God I, would create life, or something? No, not life. The, not the, like, the breath of
0: life. Like, there's no soul going into it, right? So Genesis two seven, you got the dirt of the earth, Adam. You got the breath of life from God. Put them together, you got a living soul. It's not. It's not that. I think it defines it for you in the descriptor in that chapter where it just says Mm -hmm. that so that he could, he was given the breath of life or he was given, you know, caused it to come to life depends on the translation uh, so that it could go out and do X, Y, Z. Right. But not that it's given like a soul that that would then later stand judgment for anything. Mm
2: -hmm. Question. What do you think about Neuralink?
0: Um, I think that's a great way to um, mess with your brain that I I don't want to volunteer for. (laughs) I think that if, if it does what they say, it's a great way to just open yourself up to being controlled by people. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just don't, I just kind of doubt it does what they say, to be honest. Um, you know what I'm saying? I think, I think there's uh, certain things like that, that's being promoted, that the average person can't really question the tech and whether it really does what it says. They'll, they'll never know one way or the other, because the application of the tech is really just going to be something, uh, how do I say this? Something like superficial. So like, it, they, like without Neuralink, they could still put in a sensor on the subdermal epi- uh subdermal layer of your skin that could open your car door if you wanted to. Yeah. Like it's you know what I'm saying? But it's all about the the marketing and the twisting of like what and by the way, I, I I I don't personally find a lot of reason to believe a person like Elon Musk is legit as far as how much government backing he has, how intricately he is in support of agendas that are ran by the nations of the world conspiring against, you know, like everything I was just talking about, you know, earlier. So like, um, on a, on a large grand scale, um, anything that's being promoted by that guy and his company and all, and all the bolstering of where he, his funds produced things from his company. I I'm really suspect on, on why they're being pushed into the sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know that he was, he's a huge proponent of automating, um, trucks like 18-wheelers?
2: What? Canada? Yeah. I didn't
0: know that. Yeah, he's been pushing that for three or four years now, and he's trying to build his own version of an 18-wheeler Tesla truck that drives itself. He's been talking about it for a couple years now. Oh, and, I did
1: hear something about that. And
0: look at what's happening now in Canada, right? So what happens if all those trucks are automated? You never have a chance for for that kind of thing, for individual freedom. to, 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 to you know, For the man to stand up to people doing tyranny against them, in that regard anyway. There's other ways, but... So anyway, just real quick, I'll pull this up. Um, This is a part of a presentation I did where I just try to reveal and just, oh, Um, sorry, Uh, that just went away. I don't know what happened to the rest of those, the rest of those. Okay, never mind. But I got the entire video on my other channel, Kingdom Cast. If you ever want to go watch it, I've done. I did like a full hour and forty-five minutes breaking down the history of the ancient world. I don't know. Right. I don't know what you guys believe about the ancient world and how much access to technology or what we would consider technology. But from everything I show in in just literally the hieroglyphs, the documented statements from history and everything, apparently they had automatons. And I'm not talking Leonardo da Vinci, fifteenth century. Like he made an automaton for, I think it was King Louis the 15th or whatever. And it was like this lion that barely walked a little bit, you know, and it's little chest opened up with a little lever. Like that was, that's basic, right. Compared to what supposedly these ancient cultures talked about having guardians, they had guardians, they had uh, autonomous machines designed to protect them. And I just think that's fascinating with, you know, like, what is it? Um, Ecclesiastes chapter nine, but it's all been done before. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. What are we doing today? We're creating robots that can be policemen. Like we're, I mean this, I I don't think that, I think that we've been personally, and this kind of goes into more like a commentary on modern culture and philosophy, but I I think that we, the storyline that the Bible follows following the descendants of Israel, leading up to the Messiah, um, I think that the majority of that storyline is happening in a world that's full of pagan activity, as it claims. But those pagans and the people that ruled them and everything going on there, that they weren't dumb people. Like they were extremely sophisticated, advanced. In fact, you know, it is where they get the advanced knowledge from. So if they're truly worshiping Satan and Satan is a rebellious angel who's got superior knowledge to them then it makes perfect sense that he would show them here and there certain things that allow them to have an edge and advantage over the average person. So they can rule without, you know, with full authority. This is what I go into in that series. I call it collectivistic authoritarianism because this is the, 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 you know, the MO of Babylon is that they want to, it's like the early form of communism. They wanted to rule over you with all force and power that they could muster so that you would no longer worship Yahweh. You would no longer worship God. And you would definitely be so deceived, you would never accept any of the prophets he sent, much less his son he sent. Mm. So this was like the overarching attack on mankind by the enemy using mankind as its deceived little lackeys by parsing out to them advanced knowledge and text so that they think they're superior. That they... I actually have a quote from like 2,000 years ago from a Roman who's saying that the flying machines were given to us by the gods to help us save lives. And he's mm-hmm. praising them for giving them flying machines. And so like you know there's it's literally documented you're just not going to see it in mainstream sources because they teach an evolutionary narrative right that says that we crawled out of caves and they can't so, explain to you where all the languages came from approximately 4000 so
2: years ago. so basically what you're saying is that that pastor John is wrong about the resurrection <laughs> <laughs> No I'm just
0: saying look if we you know if I if I saw a case presented to mm-hmm. me for a 7 year prior catching away <laughs> and i could have all these terms defined for me and it made sense to the congruency of what those claims are then i would i would i would reconsider my position that i can because i actually was where pastor john was and thinking there's a pre-trailer resher and then i came away from that to where to the understanding i have today which is there's just one resurrection that happens on the last trumpet and that's your big qualifier
1: and so did you come other, into this did you come into this? Uh, so, uh, Pastor Russ and and, uh, and and you as well, did you guys come into this both knowing that you guys are both pre pre-rap No. Okay, because I, nah. okay, cause, cause no. I wasn't informed of that.
0: No, I've actually never talked with, with Russ
2: about this one. Oh, about okay. This topic.
0: okay. Yeah. Nope. yeah he's, nice uh, try, John. We weren't <laughs> trying to
2: jump you, buddy. I love you, man. He's but like, he's like, like trying hey, to
1: set me up.
2: Yeah. He's yeah. trying to. It's uh, a big, rough. big topic, guys. Yeah, There's it, a lot of things
0: included, though. a lot of things that weave into this topic in and out. You know, that's um, that's why we've, in fact, actually, let me see if I can find this real quick. I'll put this on screen for us. Um, this is why we started our channel <laughs> as as we did. So check this out. I think Russ has already seen this, but Pastor John, check this out. This is, we call ourselves Kingdom in Context, okay? We don't really claim a specific denomination. But because I've been to all of them growing up, <laughs> except for the Catholic Church. But uh, this we I started as I was studying the Bible for since 1997, I came to this understanding that I kept seeing these reoccurring themes all throughout the Bible as I was studying it. Because I, I love to write. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I'm an aspiring amateur author. And so I like to dissect writing, right? How things are formed. What's the denouement? What's the character development The plot? What's the, You know, all those things. Right. I'm a, I call myself a word nerd. So when it comes to this, the, well, these, this tree that you're seeing here with the New Jerusalem at the bottom, all these other concepts here are these themes I kept seeing over and over in the scriptures that all tied together. And so I started thinking, all right, well, if I understand the return of the king, which is the return of Yeshua, the second coming, and all the events that happen with that, all the scriptures, because there's literally hundreds of descriptions of that event all throughout the Bible then I'm going to have a better, well-rounded view on that. But as I started studying that, I started realizing, oh, if I don't understand the timing of the first resurrection event, which is what Jesus is the first fruits of, and which is what we participate in when he returns, then I'm going to miss some of the details of the second coming of the Messiah, the return of the King. So I started going through this list and realizing these are the central core themes that are repeated over and over in the Bible, and that became the branches on our context tree. That's why we call mm-hmm. ourselves kingdom in context, because all of it is built upon the idea that the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus talked about over 44 times in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I must go preach the go- the gospel, of the kingdom of God, for this is why I was sent in Luke 4.43. So I realized if I didn't understand the New Jerusalem, and I was also going to have a hard time understanding all these other concepts. But then the more I started trying to individually study these concepts, I realized that they're <laughs> just all tied together. <laughs> So then I was like, it was frustrating because I was like, I just need to know the entire Bible better, <laughs> you know, right. instead of trying to parcel them out individually and and laser focus in on one topic. But so that's why I just went at it. At
1: least it. we know pre-trib and pre-wrath, even though they're different, at least it's closer to safety the than being tr- mid-trib tr- and post-trib. You know what I mean?
0: Um, Say, so well, say me, what do you mean? Sorry, well, what I'm, I mean
1: is uh, at least, at least even though they're differing opinions, what, I'm, what I meant to say is, Pre, at least pre trib and pre wrath are still, we believe that that were before that. I mean, it's it's still before, like okay. when the church, see what I'm saying? At least it's it's closer to, I think, right than mid or post. That's my point.
0: Yeah. I, I don't, I can't say similar. similar. They're similar. Um, but I do, I, I know that my idea of pre wrath is that it's a. Uh, like I've tried to explain earlier, I mean, it is like when that last trumpet's blown, that kicks off this big day, what's called the day of the Lord. Um, and that that's when the resurrected saints are, are given their glorified eternal bodies. And then Matthew 13, 30, it's the, a series of angels are sent out to gather those from the, from under the, under the heaven, everywhere from under the heaven, from the four winds. And those are gathered and brought up into the air. Cause it, as Isaiah 26, 19, says, they're going to be taken to their rooms to be, to, to be away from the indignation of the Lord. And the indignation of the Lord is the wrath of the lamb. That's coming down with the warrior angels to come and fight the wicked and Satan and the first and second beast and all those guys. But so that's how we meet him at his coming, right? He's coming down. We're coming up. So I guess mine is pre-wrath, but it's like last second pre-wrath, right? It's like yeah. we're literally passing by high-fiving in the air and then we keep going, <laughs> you know, and then he comes on down to do the, the dirty work. And then, um, you know, once and then I, I theorize from all my studies that approximately seven days later is as the, the new Jerusalem is descending you know, behind what? him, approximately seven days later, that starts the millennial reign. That, that does, that's a whole discussion. That triggers, triggers somebody yeah. in the background there, too. I was yeah.
2: going to say, uh, the seven days later thing that would kind of tie into your uh infatuation with the Jewish weddings, brother John.
0: Well, technically, that's, that's it, not an, it, a, technically but... the reason <laughs> I'm picking <laughs> on them. One of the yeah. one of the reasons I said that was because of Leviticus <laughs> chapter eight. Because you guys know that at the resurrection we're promised to be made into the Melchizedek priesthood under Yeshua. Mm-hmm. You guys, are we in agreement about that? I, I don't even. I don't think I understood that at all. Would you just said, okay? So, whatever right my head. You know so, how yeah. uh, our Messiah was was given the role of high priest over Israel as a, mm-hmm. in the Melchizedek order. He's not a Levite. Oh, a,
1: Melchizedek. I didn't catch what you yeah. were saying. Melchizedek. Yeah,
0: that's okay. Um, And so then we are promised, you know, 1 Peter 2, 9, we're promised, and also Exodus 19, 6, at the resurrection, we also are made priests and kings to rule and reign with Yeshua, Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6. Mm -hmm. Right? But that doesn't happen until the resurrection. Because a priest and a king is someone that rules over Israel, over covenant Israel. Right? So we have our high priest, Jesus, who is the high priest of Israel, as Hebrews 4, 14 and Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Um. And he is, he is the high priest. So we're going to go under his authority in that priesthood. And this, this is a priesthood that's also higher than the angelic priesthoods, which is why it says, you know, First, first Corinthians six three, we're going to judge angels. And uh, and Yeshua is given an, an authority, a name, Hebrews one five, greater than even the angels, because he's in a priesthood higher than the angels themselves. Um, so that doesn't happen till the resurrection, but before the resurrection. We're, we're still mortals who believe in faith and belief until we die. And so this is, we're not ruling and reigning with him yet. Does that make any sense? We will be once he comes. And so what are we going to rule and reign over? The Bible tells us we rule and reign from within the new Jerusalem. This is uh, Isaiah chapter 60 and 61 and Revelation 21, 1 through 7. This is to, to him who overcomes and overcomes all these things. He inherits this new jerusalem's descending out of heaven so this is the city that all the nations come to and they're going to need a priesthood to come to and all the nations come to the new jerusalem for provisions and for hebrews 2 2 or Isaiah 2 2 through 5 they come to the, the mountain of the lord in the last days and they learn his behavior they learn his law well that that's the the role of god's law is that he has a priest to teach you his law and that's why we are placed as his servants under Yeshua to rule and reign with him, because we have a literal function, a, a practical job that we'll be doing throughout the millennial reign to teach people how to live right, stop killing themselves. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's good stuff.
0: Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, but we could have you guys back on if you want talk about the timing of the millennial reign, the New Jerusalem and all that fun stuff. It's a we talk about that a lot on the channel, too.
1: That'd be fun. I had somebody ask me a text message me say, "What about what about the post millennial <laughs> viewpoint?
0: The post-rapture uh,
2: Post mill, ah, mill. Yeah, we,
0: we try to man. It's we try to keep it just so simple and just say, "Hey, what do the words say?" Let's keep them in the definitions of the words and the context it's used. And uh, I started doing that, and I moved away from all the stuff I learned in Bible college. Yeah,
2: that's what that's what Scary. that's what I started doing. That's why you know. I'm not, I don't have it all down, you know, but when I started defining, defining things the way the Bible defines them, I noticed that my views dramatically changed. You know, I went from pre-trib to pre-wrath, you know, which is, it is, it is very different if you, if you really consider it, uh, you know, we, you know, for instance, I don't put the label tribulation, right, on, on Daniel's 70th week or whatever you want to call it. I don't use that, that label, you know, as you know, this is the tribulation and I don't refer to the tribulation as the wrath of God. And I don't refer to the day of the Lord as the tribulation because all those things, you know, they're different.
1: I think that's great. hermeneutics. I agree. Totally. I like that. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah.
0: So I know I'm I've actually- said some, some crazy things tonight and you guys might have to get out of here. You might have to go. Um, was that what you were getting at, John? So you guys got yeah, well, and
1: well, you know, I love talking. I did this for three hours the other night, but I have a, a prior engagement right here at about 9, 9, 9.15. So okay. I'm having a blast, but I don't want to be rude and cut you guys short.
0: All right, then we'll end on this, guys. It's okay. We, we hit two hours. This is good talk. We'll end on this. When do you guys think that this is going to happen in the timeline of, the, of history? That
1: could be in the...
0: Uh, the, the period of the
1: 144,000,
0: as far as I'm concerned. I mean, okay, what do you think it means by restore pure lips to the people? Now, actually, let me go to uh, you guys use the KJV, let me go to the KJV.
2: Yeah. Okay, so it says, I can't understand it unless it has a couple of thighs and thous in it, right?
0: For <laughs> <laughs> so then I will return to the people a pure language
2: that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve them with, them with one consent. When do you guys think this happens?
1: Rush, you go first.
2: I would, I would, uh, if I were to guess, um, I would guess this would be, hmm. I, you know, I mean, I want to say either it's the beginning of the millennial reign or it's after. I don't, I don't know exactly when, but I think it would be, it would have to be one of those two.
1: I'd be speculating a 100%. I don't know. I don't know. It- i don't have an answer for that
0: yeah you know the tower Babel, multiple languages happened right Dubai. and then there is a prophecy jubilees chapter 11 that says that 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 they'll all be different differing languages until uh the day of the lord and then you have zephaniah 3 saying that i'll turn the people to a pure language um that they may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him consistently. This is what we see happening in the millennial reign, as the mortals that have survived the sheep and goats judgment are repopulating the earth and being taught how to live according to Yahweh's instructions. And so, and of course, Jesus is you know the King of New Jerusalem, obviously, right? Um, and He's the High Priest of the Covenant. So, if we agree that Hebrew was the original language before the Tower Bible, do we think that's what we're going to go back to when He shows up, when the Father who speaks? More than likely. People?
1: So I don't know if I agree, I mean, but, but I, I mean, so it's interesting thought, right?
0: yeah, it is Hebrew, the language of creation. Is that the first language that mankind was given before the Tower Bible? And if that is, is that the one we're going back to? I don't How know do if we're think- going to
1: communicate that way or need to, you know, verbally. So I couldn't tell you if it's Hebrew. It might be whatever, you know, we can get into like, you know, numbers, you know, machine code and what I think language is and a digital type of thing. I mean, it may be some sort of other communication that we have, like when we pray or when we dream, I don't know.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting. I wonder then how books are written that he just judges people from in Revelation twenty. Mm. I don't know. All, I, all I'm saying, guys, <laughs> something for consideration. I yeah. don't know if he's going to restore to people a, a KJV translation when he returns. Hey, man.
2: <laughs> he only speaks in KJV. <laughs> that's a, well, like you that's a KJV that, King James that, Bible. No, that that is. I will not budge on that. Jesus <laughs> speaks in King James English. No, nope, nope. uh, if you if you push, Jesus is going to come I'm, he's going right
0: to have KJV <laughs> in his arm.
1: King James only here, man.
2: 1611. You might away. do that. Yeah. <laughs> Period.
0: Guys, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really Absolutely. appreciate you guys, uh, your good demeanor, your hearts and your passion for the father and his son, our Messiah. So I just really appreciate you guys. Um, is there anything you'd like to say before we go? Uh,
2: Sean, I had a blast.
0: Thank you so much for having oh, me on it the show. was a good man.
2: time, yeah. Cool. now would oh, you believe that the verse you showed us do you believe that happens uh, at the beginning or the end of the millennial reign
0: yeah i think it's going to be a, a progression that ha- well for one the resurrected saints are going to immediately be able to speak the same tongue that was originally spoken to, with mankind um because they'll be perfected and glorified but then i believe that'll also be taught to the survivors of the day of the lord who live outside the new jerusalem and repopulate the earth in the millennial reign and are taught gotcha. yeah so yeah um but yeah, guys, you guys are awesome. I'm, I'm serious. If you want to come back on, we can have a discussion about the millennial Rain, all the details about that. There's hundreds of details about that. So we can always have fun with that if you want and just have open discussion. That'd be fun too. So, but otherwise yeah. guys, everyone in the audience, thank you so much for the super chats. For those of you who, who dropped super chats earlier, I'm sorry I couldn't get to them. Um, but also go check out their channels if you would. And uh, we we love everybody. We appreciate you joining us for this live discussion tonight. So we'll see you next time.
2: God bless. Go, see you guys. Go pre-Rav.
0: See you guys
1: later. Go, go